Now, we all know that the United States is a very diverse country. When you think of the United States and the diversity, we think of a lot of different ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, different worldviews, definitely just a lot of preferences, a lot of different preferences, all kind of jumbled up to make the United States of America. Now, when you travel outside of the country, it doesn't take you very long to realize that there are a lot of different ways that people do different things. Um, Several of you have been to other lands where you realize pretty quickly that uh, things are done differently than you're used to. Uh, Let me give you a couple examples. Um, First of all, we were taught as kids, you know, that it's very rude to stick out your tongue at people. But did you know that in Tibet, it's actually a very common greeting to stick your tongue out? And it's actually a very kind gesture and a respectful gesture. And so to all of our new people today, that's why our first impression team was looking like this. That's how we trained them uh, to greet you, all right? So just go with the flow. Well, there's also in Albania, very confusing, because in Albania, to nod your head up and down means no, and to go side by side means yes. And so that would be very confusing if we had to start doing that. And then do you realize that uh, in, um, in America, we like our French fries with ketchup? How many of you do ketchup with your French fries? All right. But do you real- realize that the Dutch, they like it with mayonnaise, right? Okay, who are you gross people? Mayonnaise with your fries. All right. You Dutchmen out there. All right. So that's a little different for us. Now, also in Japan, one of their all-time Christmas traditions is Kentucky Fried Chicken. So on Christmas Day, which is not a national holiday, uh, they actually work on Christmas Day, but they make reservations weeks ahead of time to be able to pick up their KFC on Christmas Day. And if you don't make a reservation, you do not get that finger-licking chicken or anything good from KFC. Now also, they've got the colonel and his statue. Every KFC in Japan has a Colonel Sanders statue right outside the door. They like to dress them up at Christmas time. Well, I can guarantee you there is nobody in here who has plans to make KFC a part of your Christmas tradition this coming year. But that's a little bit of the difference that we see from culture to culture, and it just kind of makes everybody a little bit unique and special. You know that also in our own schools and in our homes and our workplaces, we also seem to establish certain cultures or atmospheres or preferences that we do. There's the inside jokes that not everybody knows about. There's kind of the unwritten rules that you live by. There's the unique customs or the unique traditions that you live out in your home. And these are just things that naturally happen. But there's also the reality that God's church through the centuries has designed a a culture within it that if a newcomer or a new person coming in may not really understand the lingo or maybe doesn't understand the actions or where to go and what to do. I remember being a part of a ministry in Georgia for 11 years, and we always had these terms or these acronyms for different things. And so we would say, coming up next week, the GYP will meet in the FLC and don't be late at 10 a.m. And if you're a newcomer, you're like, what's GYP and what's FLC and GYP? Well, that's the Glowing Years program. And the FLC, that's the Family Life Center And everybody's wondering, what does that mean? Or if we said that the kids' trek is going to be meeting in uh, the uh, sword shack, then uh, everybody's really confused by those things. We kind of developed our own culture, our own lingo, and newcomers have a very difficult time. But we feel like that when we go into new environments. 
When we're looking at this idea and thought and we look at the world as a whole, we realize that as human beings, we have a variety of preferences and styles, a lot of different customs and manners by which we live. But the truth is, is that there is only one truth that is right in every setting. And this is the truth that in every person in every culture needs. That is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel can speak in any culture to any group. So it doesn't matter if you've got ketchup or mayonnaise or maybe even barbecue sauce on your french fries. It doesn't matter if you have KFC or honey-baked ham on Christmas Day. It really doesn't matter if you want to go yes or no. And it certainly doesn't matter if I stick my tongue out to you thinking I'm going to be kind. Those are all differences around the world. But the truth remains the very same in every culture and in every setting. That's the truth of the gospel. You say, well, what is, what is this gospel? Paul in the New Testament, he wrote it this way in one of his letters to the Corinthian church. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He said the next verse, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul's telling them, This is what changed my life of what I've taught you. He says how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So when we look at this thought or this topic or this word, the gospel, some would describe it as the good news, but going down to the very roots of what the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he was buried because he died. And he was buried in that tomb. But three days later, he came back to life to leave that borrowed tomb. And that day, he became victorious over death, over sin, and over judgment. And he did that for all who will receive that gift of life. Now, we also understand, though, that there's an enemy that blinds the people of the truth of the gospel. Paul would write it this way. He'd say, in whom the God of this world, Satan, the devil, he hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, we know that there's an enemy working overtime in order to keep the unrighteous, the unsaved, from seeing the light of the gospel. And he will use whatever he can to distract from that truth. And that is what we see in our culture. That's what we see in our world. Now, as a church with a mission from God that wants to proclaim that one worldwide truth of the gospel... We are on point and on mission to do that. But you also realize that not everybody will be receiving of that truth. So today, we look at Acts number, uh, number 17, and it's really no surprise that the gospel message has changed people's lives so drastically as it did in the New Testament church, as it does today, as some of you are living proof of how the gospel has drastically changed your life. And what we see by that truth is this unstoppable impact, this unstoppable impact. Now, this morning, I want you to join me in Acts chapter number 17. We're going to look at verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he or argued and discussed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. The certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, they encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? 
others some. He seemed to be setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing, the latest thing. By the way, we spend too much time on Facebook trying to do the very same thing that these guys were doing, finding out what the newest, latest thing is. What can I tell? What can I hear? Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, "Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I will declare unto you. Look at verse number 30. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but not now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Paul is continuing his message to the Athenians. Verse 31, he continues by saying, because he hath appointed, God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, hey, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit, Certain men clave unto him and believed. This morning we look at our text and we're going to see this thought about the unstoppable impact that the universal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives so drastically. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, now we come before you with full dependence on this time together that you would give us your message. Keep the distractions free from our minds and from our time together. Help us to focus in on the truth that you give us. I thank you for those who have joined to be a part of our day today. For the Christian there, the follower of Jesus Christ, may we be challenged and reminded of the importance of giving the love of Jesus Christ to those that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. But Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ, in a very personal way, they do not have a relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior, would you allow today to be that day that their eyes will open and they will see their need for eternal life in Jesus. So guide us every step of the way. We'll give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we know that Athens was the intellectual center of, the, of Greece, and this was going to be a place where even to this day, the huge, beautiful buildings and the incredible architecture and, and pieces of art stand as a recognizing piece of who Athens was back then, even to this day. And it's also that they would build these buildings and do these artworks that they were dedicated to the 30,000 plus gods and goddesses that they would, that they would serve and worship. That there would be statues all across the city. There would be idols in every place, whether it was in the marketplace or at the doorstep of each house, or even as the Bible says, in the, in the crossroads, you would find these idols. Someone once said that it was much easier to find an idol than it would be to find a man in the city of Athens during this time, because all of their attention, energy, focus, and passion was poured into these false gods, hoping that they would bring some sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. So when Paul spoke to the Athenians here on Mars Hill, he, 
He saw their differences, realized very quickly that they were not on the same page, but then he also saw their need. Beyond the fact that he realized they had, a, they had issues, he said, I also see that they have needs. And then he saw how the gospel could build a bridge between their differences through their needs. And so he knew that these were intelligent people there in Athens, and he knew that he had to certainly take his time with a very patient approach to proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and he used their needs that they shared in order to point them to Christ. In verses 16 through 18, we see that this unstoppable impact overcomes the distractions to the gospel. Now, while Paul was waiting for his friends and ministry partners, Timothy and Silas, Paul is there in the city of Athens, and he is walking around noticing what's going on. Verse number 16, it tells us that he was really burdened. He was, he was torn. He was, he was really upset about what he saw. It says he, as he waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. When you look at the original language for the word stirred in him, we would find this meaning of this, this in intense anger that was building up, this righteous anger for the attention was being drawn to these false gods instead of on the one true God, Jehovah, that Paul knew in a very personal way. And so when Paul was disturbed by these idols throughout the city, he decided that he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to have a conversation with those who would have this need so that he could be a part of proclaiming truth. And so we find here in our passage that he met up with certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. What's interesting about the Epicureans is that they believed that the purpose of life was finding pleasure and eliminating pain. Now, really, we haven't come too far from that. That's really, even to this day, there are many people who live every day of their life to find the next pleasure and to eliminate pain. And the reality is, is that life is, is painful. It's got a lot of ups and downs. And so many people look for the instant pleasure to relieve them of the reality of pain. And so that's when they find themselves addicted to things in their life. And those addictions become a controlling element in their life. And they're like the Epicureans where they think that life is just about finding the next pleasure and eliminating any nagging pain that is in their life. But they, they also thought if God existed at all that he was not involved in their lives. So if you had an Epicurean, a philosopher of this kind who said, I'm looking for instant gratification and pleasure every day and I'm trying to eliminate pain. Yeah, there's some God out there, but he's not involved in our life. And they also didn't even believe that there was life after death. And so here is this mindset, this belief system that has really been passed down through generation to generation to where even today people are hoping in themselves. People are thinking they're going to find their eternal life in their own self-righteousness. People who think they've got life figured out, if they can just find some escape for just a moment to relieve the pain and find instant gratification, they will live each and every day in that. But what they're not willing to share in an open forum like this is the guilt that they carry each and every day, the emptiness while they're looking and searching for some fulfillment to fill that void that is in their life. And so Paul is dealing with the philosophers of this mindset, and he's going to be honest with them in sharing that the only answer to that void is going to be Jesus Christ. But he also speaks to the Stoics. The Stoics were the ones who believed that the ultimate divine truth existed throughout the universe, and it was included in everything. So that everything was good and everything was truth. And, and, and if that's what you think is good, you go for that. And I think this is good and I'm going to go for that. 
I'll set my moral standards here so that I can always attain that. You have higher moral standards, have at it, but that's for you, this is for me. So they believed that truth was found in all of everything in the universe. And they also said that the way to realize their fullest potential was to live by reason. And then they believed that they could eliminate suffering through intellectual perfection. Now, there we go. That's why you're suffering so much, intellectual perfection. Man, you who are suffering, it's just because you're not very smart. I think that's the answer there for the Stoics. They were saying that in order for us to find relief from suffering, we have to just be smarter, more knowledge, more power. Well, Paul is going against some really crazy mindsets that are going to be totally contrary to the gospel of truth of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going up against some, some major hurdles with people, like he's going up against false securities, cultural standards, intellectual fallacies, empty worship practices. This is what Paul is dealing with in Athens. And really, when you look at our own community, in our society, in our culture today, the gospel is going against false securities. People are finding security in their finances, their retirement, their career, their family, their relationships, their own abilities, their gift sets, their knowledge, their power, their position. Whatever it is, they have false securities that they think what they can accomplish is going to gain them eternal life after here on earth. The gospel is going against cultural standards. Right is being changed. Wrong is being changed. Um, the humanistic mindset is really, is, is really ridding of absolute truth. And so if it works for you, you go for it. If you believe that's true, and, and if you want to say that these pews you're sitting in are, are hot pink, I mean, that's your, that's your thought. So, I mean, yeah, take it. That's, that's good to you. That's right. And so the cultural standard is changing. And the cultural standards are going contrary to the word of God. And the church can't just stand by. We don't put the boxing gloves on ready to go at it, but we do proclaim truth. And we do, we do function based on standards. We, we do move forward with conviction. The gospel is going against intellectual fallacies today. It's the, it's the professors and it's the high-ranking officials. It's the, it's the governmental establishments that are, are trying to put this price tag on intelligence. And there's nothing wrong with being smarter. I mean, this is PCA celebration. We want your kids to have an education. And, and, and we want to learn. And we want more knowledge. But we understand that this intellectual fallacy also is going to be one that too often people think that the gospel is too simple to really wrap my mind around. Or there must be more to it. There's got to be more that I can put my brain into work, into action. And then the gospel is going against empty worship practices. Remember, there's going to be several people. There are going to be many people that on that day, they meet Jesus. And they're going to say, but Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed in your name, and we did this in your name, and we went to church on that Sunday, and we gave in that offering, or we were kind, we were moral, we were decent people. I never stuck my tongue out at rude to people. It was always just as a greeting. I mean, I was that guy. And the Lord's going to say in the book of Matthew, it says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And we think, well, that's harsh. You say your God is loving. No, our God is just. Our God is love. Yes, 
And he has offered the free gift of salvation to those who will believe. And the harsh reality is that there is no summer school on the other side of eternity. There is no redo. There's no makeup lesson. There's not give me a second chance. Once your life here on earth is done, it's like a vapor appears and poof, it's gone. When your life here on earth is done, you're going to give an answer and account for where you've put your faith and your trust. And it's either going to be in Jesus Christ or yourself. And some of you are described by these very things, that this is exactly where you are living your life with false securities, cultural standards as your motivation, intellectual fallacies as a, as a, a, a sweeping force in your life, and ultimately empty worship practices. So we cannot let that derail us as the messenger of truth. We cannot let it stop us or quench the passion inside of us. We have to have these conversations with others no matter the outcome. And look at verses 19 through 23. We see that the unstoppable impact causes us to share the gospel. Once you see impact happen, you want to be a part of that. And so you begin to share the gospel of truth with others. So after Paul talked about Jesus, there were some philosophers who tagged him as just a fool. There were others, though, who genuinely were interested in hearing more. So they brought Paul, and, and where he was, the people were simply debating from day to day. They would, they would either listen or they would speak of the latest thing. And they were like, this is a new guy, a new voice, new mindset. Bring Paul into the group, and we'll listen to him and see what he has to say. Is he just some babbler? Let's hear this guy. And so Paul takes this opportunity to evaluate his audience, and he realizes that his hearers do not believe in God, or for that matter, they don't even, they don't know who Jesus Christ is. And so Paul is going to evaluate his setting, and he's going to do three things. Look at verse number 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, "Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. So we see that he shared the truth. He's going to, Paul didn't begin by telling everyone how ridiculously wrong they were. In fact, he knew that these were smart men who simply needed to know Jesus Christ. And so he's going to share the truth in love. He doesn't come at them with full force. He's going to share the love of Jesus. But look at in verse number 23, because secondly, what he does is he finds common ground. Now, Paul has no obvious connection point with these people. It's very difficult for him to have any kind of conversation, but he found one. Here's what Paul did. Paul knew that they were worshipers, and so was Paul. Paul was a worshiper. And so here, he may have worshiped, they may have worshipped the wrong things, but at least they were looking. And so he's going to grab a hold of that in verse number 23, by finding common ground, and look what he does. He says, I found an altar that you have with this inscription that says, to the unknown God. So here is common ground. What they had done with their altar, with the inscription to the unknown God, is this is a polyistic nation, polyistic people, many gods worshiping. And so just so that they don't hurt the feelings of any gods out there, they're going to make an altar to the unknown gods so that they don't lose out on any of the gods at all. Well, Paul is going to reference this, and this is going to be a connection with his audience. And then look also in the last part of verse number 23, because he's going to connect God's truth. And he says, Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. 
So the altar to the unknown God was going to be their attempt to not accidentally forget or to risk offending a God. Paul uses something that they were familiar with, their unknown God, to tell them what they should know about the one true God that can save them. Now, church, you see something with this pattern? Shared the truth in love, found common ground, and connected God's truth. There's three things that we always talk about. When we want to share the gospel with the people around us, we say we need to break down barriers, build relationships, and plant gospel seeds. And we might not say that at the very beginning, you know, how in the world do I share the truth in love? Paul is looking for that entry point of just breaking down a barrier. How can I come to them and realize that there's not a whole lot that we have in common? How can I find some common ground? He did some things to realize, oh yeah, we're worshipers. We're looking for someone to worship. We're looking to pour our adoration and praise towards someone or something. And then ultimately, he planted gospel seeds by connecting God's truth to what he was going to share with them. So we need to begin looking for ways to share the gospel, not just pointing out the wall that hinders us. Now, church, followers of Jesus Christ, there are many ways or many times that we often will we'll think of all of the, the roadblocks or the hurdles. And we'll say, well, my, I really can't talk to my neighbor about that or my coworker or this individual, because all we want to do is talk about the walls and the barriers. And what God wants us to do is just be willing to start the conversation. And sometimes breaking down those barriers takes time and patience and prayer and energy and sacrifice on our part. And, and some, so often we're looking for immediate change. We want something to happen right away. But sometimes we have to be willing to walk through that journey with someone. And we have to be willing to take our time to break down those barriers, build a relationship, and plant gospel seeds. The last thought is in verses 30 through 34. So Paul shares the gospel all throughout this section in 22 through 29. He comes even to the last part where he's going to hone in on some very important things. And he says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at or overlooked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So as Paul spoke, he explained to the mess, that the message, and he did it in terms that were familiar to his listeners. He's going to say in verse number 31 about appointing a judge. He's going to use words of giving assurance. He's going to use words that are going to be helpful in order for his hearers to connect. He would even, he would even quote their poets, and he would speak their language, but he would not eliminate the truth of the gospel. Paul offered them the only true source of living hope. What we just sang about a few moments ago with that living hope. In verse 31, Paul added that God would be their judge. Now, I understand nobody wants to talk about being judged. Nobody wants to talk about judging others. And the unsaved, they have a lot of verses memorized in God's word that they claim not to believe. And the one that they love is... Don't judge and be not judged, right? They'll grab a hold of that one. Don't judge me. And that's why with, with love and with truth, we approach it and realize and help them to understand that there's a coming appointed time where God will be your judge. And he has brought that judge in one man, and that is Jesus Christ. And so his righteousness can be given to us through that judge, Jesus Christ. 
But there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. That's not a maybe. That's not a hope to. That is a surety. That's a done deal. It will come. Like, see, we don't get to establish what truth is. Now, I, I know we live in a society that wants to, all of us to be able to defend or, or define truth. But God's word is the absolute truth, which is infallible. It has been proven through centuries, and it stands sure. People have tried to eliminate it and make it be gone, and it is stand firm and true even to this day. And so as followers of Jesus Christ who have given their lives to follow the scriptures, you may say, well, you're just some foolish fanatic, but in reality, we're just changed people whose word of God changed our lives so much that we want nothing more to do than to continue to follow it. Don't look at God's word as a bunch of rules and regulations. It's guidelines that give us true happiness and true joy so that the lives that we live in Jesus Christ are actually genuine and not fabricated or made up. Our lives that we live in him, which are up and down because we're not perfect people, the ups and downs of life means that sometimes I have a bad day and I kick the cat, which I don't have, so I kick the cat and yell at my wife and, 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 and rude to my kids. So that's, if I had a cat, I'd probably kick it, okay? Just to be honest, let's be transparent, okay? No, that's not true. That's not true. I just lost you. Okay, that's not true. I'll never have a cat, so that's why I won't kick it, Okay. So back to the content. Um, when we look at our lives as being ups and downs, we know that God's grace is always sufficient and his forgiveness is always restoring and that we can walk in sweet fellowship with him. And we turn our backs on our first love and he draws us back. And with open arms, he forgives us. And there are times when we have great ups and downs where the, the peaks are awesome and we're on fire for God. We're learning, applying, and changing. And then the next day, the enemy gets in, sneaks in, and we just have a terrible day, and we fall back into our carnality. But here's the beauty of, the God, of God's word, where we're talking about with this absolute truth, is that it can change your life just as it has changed our life. And when Paul is speaking of this, he is going to speak of the name of Jesus Christ. He says that God one day is going to judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus, who he hath ordained. Wherefore, he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, who is this son, Jesus? His name is Savior. It's given to our Lord because he saves his people from their sins. This is his special role. It was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's the same Jesus who said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is the enemy. It's the devil. Comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He says, I've come to give you life through me, which you can live to the fullest. Why does Jesus matter to us so much? Because he is God and he loves us. He desires to come into our life and to save us. He died and rose again to pay for our sins. That's why Jesus matters. The question you must ask yourself this morning, what will you do with Jesus? Romans 5.8 reminds us that God commendeth, demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't make sense. Like why would somebody give his life for me, a sinner, why would somebody give everything in order for me? 
That's unconditional love. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Romans chapter 10 says that if thou wilt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a relationship that changes everything, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? Paul was facing some major hurdles, some major walls, barricades. And they're the same barricades that the gospel is going against, the distractions that the gospel is going against today. But are any of those hurdles a description of your life? Like, do you have this, this issue in your life where you're, you're finding to be um, having false securities or cultural standards as your governing guide, intellectual fallacies or empty worship practices? Because if that's you today and you're willing to come to that place where you realize your hope is in something other than Jesus, today could be the day of great transformation for you. Today could be the day where that relationship changes everything for you. So the question becomes, how will you respond? Look in verse number 32. Here's how they responded. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. In verse 34, those who would be willing to hear them of this matter, they clave unto him and they believed. So how will you respond today? With mockery? I've got plenty of time. Or with belief? Today is the day. You know, I've had the, I really wouldn't call it a privilege, but opportunity in the last 15, 20 years to, to experience death firsthand on a lot of occasions as a youth pastor and then as a, as a senior pastor. Even this last couple of weeks, we've had the opportunity to be at the bedside of some who were just moments away from, from going on to the other side, man in his 40s, 50s. I retraced some things in my own life and being on property here every week, it always brings back memories of my time as a student back in the 90s. And again, I'll never forget the, the, the guy in our, our high school who went out with a couple of buddies and they went out one afternoon to the woods and, and uh, they were just being silly guys and, and they were on the back of the pickup truck. One guy was standing on the tailgate and the other guy was driving, being a dork, you know, trying to hool around and, and uh, scare him and he took off really fast. Well, the guy standing on the back of the tailgate fell off, hit his head. Now, of course, 90s, I'm a 90s guy, so no cell phones, I right? barely even had a pager back then. Really no way of communicating out in the woods. And so as soon as they got to help, the 16-year-old was, was gone into eternity. I remember as a teenager experiencing that and realizing, wow, I mean, I'm young, I'm fit, and, and, and everything of my life is ahead of me, but man, life is, is short. Then I saw this article, an incredible story about a, a 25-year-old girl. as She laid there in bed in the hospital with a liver disease. And Grace was her name, and her family was gathered, and they were fighting against the Billy Rubin number and trying to bring it down. And they'd post on Facebook celebrating, the number has come down. I think we're going to be okay. We're, we're making progress. They even had the biopsy, and the cancer was gone. So they were rejoicing. Everything was going in the right direction. Then all of a sudden, two months later, everything had just gone haywire. As they stood beside her bed, 
ushering her, a 25-year-old, into eternity, realizing again, as a 41-year-old guy, life is short. Flashbacks came into my mind. I remember sitting in my office, making Georgia, there on the corner of Houston and Sardis Church, getting a phone call in our office that Dustin Bass, one of the teenagers from my youth group who had just graduated one year earlier, was found that afternoon laying face down on his bed, had a seizure, and at the age of 19 went into eternity. Brutal, harsh realities. I mean, it's the 70 and 80 and 90-year-olds that have lived these incredible lives and have amazing stories that you cry, you mourn, but you kind of understand. But then it's like, wow, the whole spectrum from the time we enter this world to the time our end has come, we're all vulnerable to the brevity of life. So today, we hope the next tragedy will not be written by anybody in here. But the harsh reality is that it could be. So where is the assurance for you? Like if your last breath were taken today, where will you spend eternity? The people that Paul met, smart intellectual people. They had false securities and hundreds if not thousands of their own gods. But Paul brought the ultimate truth to a culture that really was so confused. But he said there's only one truth and that's the gospel that Jesus loves you. The unstoppable impact. Some mocked, but others believed. Who will you be today?